That was a high pitch. That's a crack. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Thank you, Lord. I'm so excited. Me too. I'm excited. Okay. Father God, we just thank you for the chance to get together and worship you and praise you and thank you for all the goodness that you've the, uh, of who you are and what you do for us and it, it just boggles my mind that you would do what you've done to, uh, to, to save your creation and, and I think if it had been any one of us we would just just, uh, just let them go and, and start it over but you didn't and you love us, love us so much and we thank you so, so much for it we thank you as we walk through life each one of us some of us are not as old as the other ones but you know, uh, we can look back, I can look back, and most of us can look back and, and see when you were there uh, taking care of us and guiding us and, and bringing us uh, along the road that you wanted us to get to so that we could come to know you and, and praise you and worship you. And you are so awesome and so good. There's none like you, Lord, and we thank you, thank you, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Okay, the title of this message is Joseph's Bones. Uh, I had thought about entitling it, I Have a Bone to Pick with You, but then you might catch it the wrong way. And then I thought I'd start with, what does the Exodus have to do with William the Conqueror? But then you might not get the joke. So. Um, I'll leave that alone. I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is Joseph's bones, and I, I was fairly excited because the next three verses kind of make a set. Hebrews eleven twenty two, and then twenty three, and and then twenty four, because you have you have a death, birth, and a grow up. It's funny how you know I mean just those kind of patterns always show up in scripture. I just, I just couldn't deal with all that in one day. That and I worked this morning. I hey, Dominic, have a seat. So, Hebrews 11:22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his body, his bones. I, you know, so when we read this in Genesis, you see his brethren came there. I, he's talking about the exodus. I wonder if Levi said, mm, Exodus, good title. <laughs> Anyhow, that was like... Deeply buried humor, Levi, Moses, Exodus, you get it. Okay, good. There's a long time too, it was 300 and 400 years, right? Just a bit, just a bit. So, by faith, at the end of his life, he made mention of the Exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. This is what he did by faith. Ooh, so, I, it's just, I, I don't know what's going to show up. So, all right. I share my life because, you know, it's the life I have. I, I share your life, Dominic, but it's not mine. So, I'm sitting up, I'm, I think I'm 13, I might still be 12, and I think I'm still 12. So, my mom worked the 3 to 11 shift, and what my dad would do is he would stay up, and then when mom came home, he'd talk her off her shift, and that's what he did. Well. When he was dying, he started keeping me up. So I, I was, and to a degree still am, a functional insomniac to a degree, right? So I had made it a point in my young mind, if I just got to bed at 10, I'd probably sleep through the night. Didn't always work out. Um, I'd, you know, I'd wake up at odd hours. But that was my target time, 10 o'clock. When mom comes home at 11.30, dad's dying, I'm 12, and he's like, why don't you stay up, son? And so he kept me up while he talked my mom off her shift. And her nurse friends would come over and, and they would just talk down shift. That's how I got my medical education. Okay? <laughs> that and probably more biology than a 12-year-old should have. But um, he was 
he was doing this. Anyhow, we're sitting up, and this is the thing my dad and I would never discuss. He's sick and dying. He knows it. I know he's sick and dying. I'm 12. We don't talk about it. We just, I, I just can't touch it. It's too yeah. raw. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have either. And so we're sitting there waiting for mom to come home, and this advertisement comes up for grave plots. For grave plots. For grave plots. For selling, you know, buy your grave plot. And, and my 12-year-old self said out loud, that's pretty morbid. I mean, they're making a pitch for you to buy your grave now? And, you know, I mean, I'm immortal. I'm 12. <laughs> and uh, it's the closest dad and I got to it, except for the night, he, the night before he died. And he, he says, well, son, not really a bad idea. I bought mine. I'm 12, I can't touch it. But we talked about it. I didn't plan on sharing this. I just, by faith, Joseph, in faith, made his funeral arrangements. Do you get it? Mm -hmm. So my, my father, it, it, it's, I can't, I don't have enough time to tell you how huge of a feat this was for my dad to make his funeral arrangements and take care of it without um, mom being in the middle of it or there being some other explosion in their marriage. So the, um, the night that he was dying, so he'd be dead that morning, so it's like nighttime, 10 o'clock, 8 to 11. Um, his legs are swollen because he has lung cancer, so uh, the closest we got. He looked at me, because I'm just staring at him like, I cannot believe this is actually happening. And he looked at me and he goes, wow, son, this must be pretty heavy for you. He was in so much pain, you couldn't put your hand on the bed without him groaning. And his only thought was, sorry, boy. <laughs> it's amazing. By faith, he made his funeral arrangements. I don't understand it. Really? It's the best gift you can give, give to your family. I mean, the practicality of it, I understand. That I get. As, as I mean, we dug my mother-in-law's grave. We dug my father-in-law's grave. I've dug more holes than I can count and bury more people than I want. I mean, I always remember. These were these were people that weren't supposed to die, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They were dead first. <laughs> they were dead first. So, so the practicality of it, I I get. But there's something sacred about human remains, and I know from dust we are to dust we return. But. There, and I really had no deep contemplation about the sacredness of the grave or even um, a corpse until Heidi's aunt died. And Heidi's aunt, Edith, uh, Sister Mary of Grace, was a nun. She served the Lord um, till the day she died. And at her graveside service, and the priest did that service, and, and he was praising the Lord because in conquering the grave, he had sanctified it. I thought, I never thought about that. But that lady's getting out of that grave. Amen. Amen? So, on the high practical side, speaking to myself, because I haven't done it yet, but we've talked about it, make those arrangements. Have your house in order. Vera is absolutely correct. You've seen your fair share. Um, the last thing you want to deal with is a high-pitched salesman after someone close to you has passed away. Take care of it ahead of time. Joseph did this. In faith, he made arrangements concerning his bones. Now, okay, we could talk about the figure of speech and the fact that the bones are used for the entire corpse of the person. And, and um, I could, you know, if I remembered it, I can give you the part for the whole figure speech name, but it's in Latin, and who cares? 
the Holy Spirit had the writer of Hebrews use the word bones. He gave direction concerning his bones. Maybe maybe he realized that would be all that would be left to move. Very possible. Except that he's in Egypt. And, oh, they, and and we're digging up mummies that land down there and they've got more than bone. That's true. Here's the thing, though. But if they were of, of uh, you know, Hebrew, they wouldn't necessarily allow themselves to be mummified. I mean, being Hebrew, they wouldn't necessarily allow themselves to be mummified. It's a fair point. Yeah. He, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus. Well, who... Who knew about the Exodus? They all did. How? Because God cut covenant with Abraham. And because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, and he put Abraham into a sleep stupor and in a fiery pot, burning pot with smoke, which was the first appearance of the, the pillar of fire and the, and, the, and the column of cloud. God walks through those animals. He had Abraham split apart. And in this covenant making, there's this terrible portion where God tells them, your children will be enslaved for 400 years, but I will bring them out in the fourth generation. You don't... When, when Jacob falls asleep on the rock and sees the Ziragat to heaven, which Jesus interprets for Nathaniel when he calls him, you know, oh, you're surprised that I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's what Jacob saw. There was no talk about being incarcerated. When they willingly went down to Egypt so they wouldn't starve, there was no talk about being slaves until the brothers sold themselves out to the king's representative, who was Joseph. There's, there's a, there's a, you can pinpoint it in Genesis when they became slaves. There's anything left. You're left. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Reuben and the boys. This is how that promise got... This is how Joseph knew it. And in faith, he saw the future. In faith, he saw the future. He knew they would come out, and guess what? For all the glory of Egypt, Joseph didn't want to stay there even as a corpse. Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. For all the glory of Egypt, he didn't want to stay there. He wanted to wake up somewhere else. Genesis 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, and being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. Okay? You're going to carry my... Now, a visitation from God. <laughs> remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? You remember that? I'd rather get, I want to gather you as a, as, a, as a hen gathers her chicks. If you'd only known the day of your visitation, God visits to bless or curse and in this instance, he did both at the same time. He blessed Israel, and he weighed laced to all the gods of Egypt. Every single curse was a pinpoint attack to one of the gods that they worshipped. Yahweh showed up and kicked their ever-loving false god. Okay? So, you're going to carry me out of there, coffin in Egypt. Well, there's Joseph's coffin. Well, probably what it would have looked like. 
because um, I have a book on the shelf over there by, I think it's David Roth is the author, archaeologist. They dug up this complex. They found a statue of a Hebrew man, that statue. This picture is reconstructed. Some really upset people took some hacks at it. You can imagine, oh, this Joseph, what he brought on Egypt. This throwing stick in the, in the multicolored robe is, is kind of the clues and, and tip-offs as to who this person is. More than likely, just based upon, this is just supposition, but based upon Egyptian funerary rites, his sarcophagi probably looks something similar to that. Okay? So imagine Joseph dead in a sarcophagus. Now, you're Moses. <laughs> you're the former prince of Egypt that walked away. We're going to talk about that in Hebrews in the next couple of verses. But you come back and you confront through your brother, uh, Pharaoh, and you go to war with his sorcerers, and, and you come all the way down until all the firstborn are dead, and they say, please leave. And, and so you do. And in Exodus 13, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war return to Egypt. I was like, no, let me put their back to the sea and let me show them what I do to an army first. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Equipped for battle is the ESV, I forget, um, by ranks or something like that in, in the King James Version. The Hebrew basically reflects columns of five. They went out as an army. This verse, Exodus 13, 18, is one of the uh, places where we grab the, the numerical symbology for the number five of being grace. But they, they come out as an army ready for war. Okay, so now... You're, you're Moses, you're the prophet, you've just, I mean, if you've ever been in a spiritual confrontation, it's exhilarating, but it can be exhausting. Every time he confronts them and something goes wrong, it gets worse for the Israelites. He's had nine go worse. Like, every, every you know, and he comes up to plate, oh great, thank you, thank you so much, now we don't get any straw. Way to go, Moses. Oh great, you know, I mean, every single one is like worse. Pharaoh gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, the 10th the one, he gets a win. And they go out as an army, and he says, Oh, hey, by the way, grab the bumps. Of all the things he's got to worry about, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. I think that's, considering the context, pretty telling. Don't you? How, how was this read? It makes you wonder how it was related and brought down to Moses so that he knew about this, that he right. could take the bone. They and probably had... Um, they were keeping the faith. Yes, they were keep, keeping records and this and yeah. that, or stories. Moses, yeah. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And so in the Exodus... Joseph's bones come out of Egypt. Joshua 24. Joshua comes into the land, you know, Jericho, and then all of that. How long the conquest took, I do not know. But when it's all said and done, and he's toward the end of his life, or somewhere in that time frame, that's the narrative. Um, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt. This is Joshua 24, 32. They buried them in Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought for the, from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. So of all the things that Joshua is taking care of, dividing the land to everybody and their inheritance as the conquest continues, Joseph gets buried in his inheritance. The meek shall inherit the earth. See that? See that Shechem? They bury him in Shechem. Now, the other thing that happened in Shechem, see, Joseph buys a place, a little plot of land that pitches tents. That's when Dana went and, you know, 
um, hang out with the ladies in Shechem and then the Prince of Shechem and all that, and then they just took over the place, right? <laughs> it's, it's quite the story. Genesis 48, verse 21. This is Israel sitting with Joseph before Israel dies. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. There it is out of Jacob's mouth, out of Israel's mouth. Transmission, father to son, father to son. Moreover, I have given you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope, or an additional portion, one portion more than your brothers in the King James, that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. In Hebrew, that portion or mountain slope is the word Shechem. The Holy Spirit plays these word jokes, not word jokes, but wordplay, all the time in Scripture. It's one of the reasons why I'm sorry I don't read Hebrew. But it's just, I mean, it's time and time and time again he does this wordplay thing. So that's Jacob giving Joseph that mountain where his bones got carried. They carried a 400-year-old, they carried 400-year-old bones for 80-plus years and buried them in Shechem. That's a feat. I mean, all those... I say 80 years. It's 40 years. In, yeah. 40 years. Well, 40 years in the wilderness. I should have made that 40. I was, I was thinking of Moses' age. You know, 40, then 40 in the wilderness. Anyhow, yeah. 40 plus years. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I'll change that when I save it again. It's a long time to carry around. I mean, they're carrying a lot of stuff anyway. And they're, and they're, and they're, but it's like, oh yeah, grab Joseph's bones. Until they get into the land. Now, hang on a second. What does this say to the children of Israel? Joseph says to the sons of Israel, in faith, God's going to come visit you, and when He does, you take my bones and you bury them in the land. You bury them in my inheritance. What's inherent? What's inherent in that communication? We're getting the land. I don't care what giant sparks on it. I don't care who thinks they have the title deed to it. I don't care who builds a mosque on it. I don't care who puts an international zone around it. I don't care if they call it Palestine, the Levant, or anything else. That land's yours, and you're taking my bones in there. And you're carrying these bones around for 40 plus years. You're going to have to deposit them in his inheritance. That means his great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids have to go to war so they can bury Joseph where he belongs. That's quite a faith statement. I'm tired of living this around. Can't we just bury him here? No. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me think of the last part of Lonesome Dove. But anyhow. Alright? So what's with them bones? What is with them bones? Well, bones and burials. I want to talk about bones and burials first before I talk about bones. When Stephen testified to the Sanhedrin, he said Abraham walked into the land and God gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length. And he had no children. The only land that Abraham owned in Canaan was the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. And he bought it to bury Sarah. All Abraham ever owned and the land that God promised him from the Nile to the Euphrates was a cave to bury his bones. Isaac and Ishmael buried Abraham there. Genesis 25, verses 8 through 10. Jacob and Esau buried Isaac there. Genesis 35, 27 through 29. Joseph and his brothers come out of Egypt and take a, a huge caravan Time. Matter of fact, they spend a, a month mourning, and, and their mourning is so intense that the people around are like, I, I think we're in trouble. The Egyptians just came out, and they're all crying, and they're not going anywhere. And they bury Jacob there. Genesis 50, verse 13. Even Jesus had a tomb. Not in Hebron, but even Jesus had a tomb. Matthew 27, Verses 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I just said that. Had a tune. <laughs> had a tune. Emphasis on had. Right? Luke 24, 39, when he shows up in the middle of them and they're all scared, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. Those are the resurrected bones of Jesus of Nazareth. The same bones that, that God knit in his mama's womb. The same bones through which nails went in between to cut his medial nerve to increase his pain on the cross. God put flesh back on. We don't have to imagine what resurrection looks like. God gave us a, a picture of how it happens. And you know what? When you build a house, you get all the sheetrock and you place it together first. Is that how you do it? No. What do you no. put up? No, you're framed. What are the frames to a house? The bones. The bones of the house. Mm. The bones of the house. Artem knows. So let's talk about them bones. Bones are first in development. I put first in quotes because I mean in primacy. But the fetus has a cartilaginous skeleton, you know, early in, early in gestation. That's there, a recognizable signature. God took a rib from Adam, and from it he made the woman. He manufactured, starting with the bone. God made all nations out of one blood. And the bone is the what? The marrow. And what does the marrow produce? Makes blood. Blood cells. We don't know how that happens. Now, Ecclesiastes 11.5 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So I'm going to read it to you out of two versions. <laughs> First, the King James. As thou knowest not what is, what is the way of the Spirit, <coughs> nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Now, when I first encountered this verse, I thought, okay, I understand them saying that, but certainly we know today, I mean, I just told you that in a fetus, early in gestation, has a skeletal structure. Obviously we know how bones grow in a woman's womb. Guess what? We have no idea. We don't know. It's not DNA. You know why? The DNA in your skin, same DNA in your bone. DNA is an information storage device. Science has no answer for morphogenesis. Morphogenesis is why things take the form they do. They don't know. They don't know how your body decides a kidney is a kidney, and your heart's a heart, and your bone's a bone. They haven't answered the question. They've got no idea. Their best guess so far is some quantum entanglement, not entanglement, but a, a, a quantum trough that just forces things to go in the direction they do. <laughs> God forbid that they said it was God. <laughs> okay, but this is the King James. It is, it is technically accurate, okay? It's scientifically accurate. Not necessarily an accurate translation, though, because the word grow isn't in the Hebrew. Now, that's the sense of it. So, still a good translation, but the ESV is an even more astounding translation of this verse that I want you to remember. Okay? I'm just so excited. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child. Mm. Oh. Amen, brother. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean the thing that makes me alive is in my bones? Oh, wait till you see how God works this whole thing. 
Alright. Take a breath, man. Take a breath. Bones. Let's talk about them bones. It's first in development. It's last in decay. Ezekiel 39 tells it's it's a it's another vision of uh, you know we typically call Armageddon. Um, I remember Chuck Missler used to uh, um, what's the word I'm like not not uh, postulate but consider because there's there's this whole technical team that goes over the over the field and, and they're going over it for like seven years if they find a bone they flag it. He's like, man, if this is if this is a, a, a nuclear war, that makes sense. You know, you need special teams to identify this radioactive stuff. Anyhow, um, be that as it may, they're going through in this battlefield and they're flagging where the bones are. That's Ezekiel 39, verse 5. Even today, if you uh, decide to be cremated and they put you in the crematorium, the bones don't always burn up, okay? So then they just pretty much put it in a blender. What well, doesn't get burnt? Like a grinder. A grinder, yeah. They put it in a grinder. Now, that that sounds disturbing. Um, I will share with you something more disturbing still, just 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 so that you understand. So you understand the resilience of bones. Um, hey Nick, is this what it was like sitting with your mom when you were doing that? Uh, oh, it was more fun. <laughs> my, mom. my mom was a blast. So, the technicians that sold the Nazis the ovens for the death factories for Dachau and, and Birkenau and, and Auschwitz would sit there with timers, and in essence, they, they figured a way in the muffle. Um, to use little fuel, vaporized oil to start the fire, and there was a whole process by which the bodies were stacked. New arrivals that had more flesh on them could be used to consume what they called the Muslimen, the, the, the skin and bones people. And then it was all said and done when they scraped the ashes out because it was demonically driven and the point was try to wipe out the memory of a people. Understand this. I'm not, and I'm not trying to bust on anybody. I mean, my dad was cremated. I'm not busting anybody who's cremated. But understand that Adolf Hitler was under the influence of a principality. Okay. He's, he's anyhow. So this whole system, demonically, demonically driven to try to wipe out a people. Hitler invaded Russia not for conquest, but because there were more Jews there. That's verifiable history. Okay. And, and so what bones came out of the oven, the prisoners had to mash down with pistol and mortise and then cast all the dust in the rivers and the lakes, trying to make the memory of a people go away. And they failed. Amen. <laughs> they lost. Could you repeat again what you said about wiping out the identity of a people? They were what, trying to eradicate. What was the lead up to that? They were going to take every trace away. Mm -hmm. That was the point of burning it all up, aside from, you know, just sheer German efficiency, run, run amok. It's yeah. last in decay, okay? Try, try to do, yeah. yeah, like there's no God. <laughs> Like, they, like it never existed. I, I'm going to be God, you know, I'm going to do this. Yeah, that's what man wants to do. Here's the thing. Bones? Bones are first in resurrection. Bones are first in resurrection. So, now I'm going to read you the vision of how a resurrection occurs. I understand that the point of this vision is to teach something else, but God never does one thing. Okay? So, Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> now, if you saw this in film today, you would call it a horror film until the last part of it. Okay? Ezekiel 37. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. We've all seen it in the movie, right? 
It's dark and the hero's walking and crunch, 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 and all of a sudden they get a torch and ah, no. skeletons. Ah! <laughs> I just want to hear from God. I just want a vision. Hmm. Ah! <laughs> I mean, are we really ready to see what God wants to show us? Are we going to limit him to roses and, and sweet smells and... and because when he gives full-on visions, people drop down like they're dead. It takes angels to revive them, you know? I mean, you get scared in life. Maybe you have a heart attack. Someone gets the paddles and goes, ka you, know, you get a real vision from God. An angel has to show up and say, hey, it's okay. Wake up. Wake up. I'm here. No, wake up. i got to show you something else. Okay? And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, he's a practice prophet by now. He knows the answer. And I answered, uh, Oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> this is how you, you know, if you're not sure it's a trick question or not, let's just say, well, What are you seeing? You know, you showed it to me, weren't you? <laughs> Verse 4 Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. We don't know how the Spirit gets in the bones of a child and a woman. Now you're going to see it go into corpses. Prophesy over the bones, and you tell them, I'm breathing life into them. This is why I think, even though it doesn't say it, that when God formed man out of the dust of the ground, the first thing he did was he formed the skeleton. Well, that's just a holy hunch on my part. It doesn't say it in Genesis 2-7. I'm, I'm just doing some reverse engineering on, on a product that we have no instructions on. But when I see the, when I see the instructions later on, I just go walk it backwards. Verse 6 and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So you see that? Um, breath into the, into the bones, and then breath into the, into the bodies. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So here's, I've got to stop, because this is, how we, this is how we walk by the Spirit. Okay? When God shows you something, and, and you're seeing a vision, and He says, speak to it, Open your mouth and speak to it. If you are in a dream, if you're, how many of you sleep? Uh, how many of you dream? Okay. Newsflash. Not all your dreams are just a hypocampus trying to figure out what happened to your day and make it long-term memory or throw it away. A lot of your dreams are, but not all of them. There are dreams you will have that are from God. God will try you in your dreams. God will teach you in your dreams. God will test you in your dreams. And so in your... Have you ever had the dream where you know you have to move but can't? Yes. You're trapped. You have no strength. Okay? Trapped in Shalom is... Not Shalom. Sheol is like this. Those in Sheol are weak. They have no strength. When you're asleep... This is why death is called sleep. When you're asleep... Your, your mind knows your body is slack. And so when your mind wants to imagine motion, it's using the same mechanisms. Like if I'm, if I'm being confronted, in, I'm getting excited. If I'm being confronted in a dream and someone's going to attack me and I'm just going to punch the daylights out of them, my brain is using the same mechanisms that tells them to knock them out. <laughs> Except that I'm asleep, so I'm calm. <laughs> I can't fight him. Okay? So, you think demons play fair? No. You think they won't show up in your sleep, try to bark down your throat? When it happens in my dream, call out the name of Jesus and you suddenly have power in your dream that you didn't have before. Man, I, I, have, I have yelled them out of my... I've come out of a dead sleep and I'm a deep sleeper. I've come out of a dead sleep and just yelling in tongues right out of my room. How dare you walk in my bedroom? Right? But I have witnessed to people in my dreams. I have, uh, I have healed people in my dreams. I've flown in my dreams. Yeah. Okay? And I am, I am convinced it's just not happening in my sleep. 
Because I've had testimony from others that I've been in places that I wasn't there physically. Okay? So, so when he's showing you these things, read the prophets and how they walk through a vision. Because God, God is like total, full, full spectrum senses. It's not just this, you're not watching TV. I, I've met so many um, intercessors that, that think that a vision is passive. Like they're watching TV or some form of entertainment. No. It's interactive. What do you smell? What do you see? What do you taste? Speak to it. Speak to it. Speak to it. He'll tell you. And this is what he's doing. So as bizarre as it is, although Ezekiel, I mean, you know, he has a career, right? He's had to do some bizarre things. He's had to lay on his side for three years. I think, anyhow, you know, he's had, he's had to do all kind of, like God told him, look, I want you to tell him how bad it's going to be. So, you know, for a while now, I want you to take human feces and you're going to use that as fuel for your food. And he's like, really? Yes, because they're going to be drinking their own urine. That's how bad it's going to be. So you do that. He's like, but that's going to make my food unclean. Can I, can I use cow dung and tell them it's human feces? God says, well, okay, but make the point. <laughs> that's how real God is. I'm telling you the Bible here. Okay? So here he is in the Spirit, and he's like looking around, and it's a valley full of dry bones. And then God makes them walk through it. Well, how do you suppose he knows they were dry? Well, they look dry. Well, pick one up. Crunched and crackled underfoot. Can they live? I don't know what you got in mind, Lord. <clears throat> so, he prophesied. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was the sound of the old rattling. And the bones came together. Bone to its bone. I want you to imagine that. Okay. A valley full of bones, scattered, separated, desiccated, and then just rattling together. That's not a good rattle, right? If I had a, if I had a, a, a job, a, a, a donkey, a donkey jaw, we do it. Anyhow, they're all so you stand and just see it in your mind. All these bones, are, and it's you know. It's not, I'm sure, the right bones are getting with the right people. Okay? Yes. Pardon me. And I looked and behold, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. That is the process. So the bones, so he's watching this. The bones come together, and then he sees the ligaments grow on them. And then he sees muscles grow on them. And then he sees them encased in skin. Ah! Well, now he's never had a dream. Now he's going to feel the fucking soldier. You're scaring the kids. You're scaring the kids. I can't unsee that. Right? And so now he's in a valley full of corpses. What is more disturbing? I mean, a valley of bones is kind of icky. All right, but now, now you're in, now you're in a valley full of dead people. I mean, anybody enjoy? Why? Never mind. <laughs> if you do, I don't want to hear about it. But you know, no, it's just funny. disturbing to look at battlefields or whatever and see all these dead people, no. right? So, verse eight. Verse 9, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That's what a resurrection looks like. Now, ours? <laughs> Faster than that. In an atom. The change to your body. But that's what resurrection looks like. And it started with the bones. Last in decay, it's first in resurrection. Here's the other thing about bones. They hold on to the anointing. You remember how Ecclesiastes, the preacher, Solomon, told us that we don't know how the spirit gets into the bone. We don't know. Okay? Now, see how far we can go with this. 
there are all kinds of symbols for the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Got a whole book on it up there on the shelf. Pretty good book, if I do say so myself. Anyhow, um, water is a primary one, and oil is perhaps the one we're most familiar with because we love to talk about the anointing. Well, to anoint basically just means to rub it with oil, right? Water behaves differently than oil does. Water washes things away or off, hydrates us, right? Now, I'm going to show you the difference between water and oil to illustrate ways the Holy Spirit functions, but I'm going to show it to you in a curse. So I don't want you to get lost because the way these things work is the same because, you know, well, curses and blessings, it's all spiritual impartation and how it goes about. But Psalm 109, the 109th Psalm, by the way, is the uh, prophetically written curse on Judas Iscariot. I, I'm convinced the Lord Jesus was very aware of this Psalm and, and, had, he wrote it. and, yeah, and had deep <laughs> sorrow had deep sorrow for Judas in terms of what he was facing because of his decision. Judas was not fated to betray Jesus. Somebody was going to do it. Judas decided it was him. Okay? That's how that played out. But in, in laying down this curse, verse 17, the psalm says, As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessings, so let it be far from him. Verse 18. As he clothed himself with cursing, like as with his garment, so let it come into his bowels like water. That's what water does. Water comes into your stomach, right? So let this come into his bowels like water, and like oil, like oil, into his bones. Let that anointing go all the way into his bones. See? So not only does the spirit of man come into you first and foremost through your bones, but the anointing, when it comes on you, can soak all the way down to your bones. Let me show it to you. Ezekiel, not Ezekiel. Second Kings. Second Kings 13. Verse 20. And Elisha died, and they buried him. Okay? Now remember, Elisha, Elisha's teacher was Elijah. And he's, and Elisha said, what, what do you want from me? I'm trying to go find my chariot ride. <laughs> he says, I want double what you got. Okay, if you see me leave. But if not, I can't do nothing for you. Right? So Elisha got a double portion of anointing in Elijah. So they bury him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land in the coming, at, at the coming in up of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Wow. Bang! <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so here this man of God had been dead long enough for his bones to be exposed. Now why his grave was open, I have no idea. But you can imagine, you know, it's like, oh, here they come. And the guy's like, oh, hey, let me out. Okay? Now I have to explain something here about the energies of God. This is the same process okay, by which the, the woman with the issue of anointing, uh, issue of blood, pulled power out of Jesus when she grabbed his, um, his, his prayer shawl. Yeah. I, I, I perceive that dunamis has gone out of me. Power has gone out of me. She drew the energy right out of him. It's the same way that, that Paul would take his sweatbands when he's working his leather and someone says, hey, so-and-so is sick. Well, I don't have time. I have work. Here, take this and put it on them. It's the same way that, that uh, I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha, laid a staff on someone they came to life. It's a transfer of energy. 
So the, the, the anointing in that sense, when we lay hands on, okay, if I'm ministering healing or if you're ministering healing, I'm, I'm not taking the Holy Spirit's imparting power. The two words used in Greek are dunamis and energia, energy and power. And it's a transfer of energy that sets whatever's wrong right. Now we do this in, in, on a physical level. We use microcurrent, we use TENS units. Um, you take food and you chew it and then that food is converted into an energy wavelength inside of your body. This is how we operate. When the Holy Spirit of God moves in you in miraculous power, what gets transferred is a deposit of energy. Okay. So, because of the anointing that had flowed through Elisha, a deposit of resurrection power was left in his bones. That's powerful. So, it's, it's not just something God puts it. It's, 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 it, it's, a, it's an actual... It's a thing. Yeah. And, and, and certainly God gets to determine, it's, it's, he's sovereign, he gets to determine, you know, when and how, but this is how, you know, I can't, I can't determine by my own strength and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest my power in this, but I do know this, that you broadcast presence, and because you broadcast presence, you change the energy in a room. Now, you could do this if you're not saved. If you're not born again, no Holy Spirit at all. People people with a bad attitude, without yeah, saying can, anything, can walk can, in. You can sense it. You can sense it, right? Yes. But we're more empowered than that. And and I, I think that, you know, places we have been, this house. And when Heidi first walked through this house, she said it was like, it was like love. Got squeezed. A man who loved his family built this house. And the energy he put in that is in the bones of his house. I can tell you that right now. It's in the bones of his house. And, and so, um, this, by the way, is how this teaching is related to William the Conqueror. Because a, a, um, a, an extrapolation of this understanding uh, is how Augustine and then the early Catholics got into the error of saints' bones. And then they began using the bones as a relic that was permanently empowered versus something that might have had some resident power in it. And because um, Edward the Pious, who had washed up on Brittany's shore and been saved by William the Bastard before he became the conqueror, had promised his kingdom to him, when William the Conqueror showed up, he decided to have the Pope's ring and a relic bone. And that pretty much won the battle for him. It was psyops. <laughs> 1066, the year of conquest, William became the conqueror. Okay? He had to walk because they didn't have a horse big enough for him. He was a big guy. Alright, that didn't cost you any extra. It holds on to anointing. Okay? So you let that blessing soak in. So the ways you can work your mind in faith, because faith sees things that are invisible, is that when a blessing comes to you, imagine it. With, use that imagination God gave you and see that blessing come into you through your skin, through your flesh, into your bone, to your very marrow. And every new living blood cell that comes out of you that's sucking oxygen and breathing God's wind has His grace on it because He's imparted energy to it. Okay? This is how we, when, when someone prays over you, when you're praying over someone, it's okay to see that energy going through. To engage your whole being in an operation of moving the power of God under His revelation and direction. Okay, so the testimony of the bones. I mean, Joseph's cool, but he's not Jesus, right? <laughs> when they were given the instructions for the Passover lamb, remember John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everyone knew what he was talking about. The Passover lamb. They were not to break a single bone of it. The whole carcass entire was supposed to be kept. No broken bones. You don't get to break off a, a joint. You get the leg. You get the foreleg. I get the shoulder. Psalm 34. And 
verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of all of them. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. So, there, there's, there's a temptation, and I'm certain the temptation was stronger when the crucifixion was happening. Matter of fact, those that were being crucified with them were basically saying, well, you deserve to be here. And someone was saying, well, no, we deserve to be here, but he doesn't deserve to be here. Well, obviously, if been a godly man, they couldn't have crucified him. How can they? I, they couldn't wrap, Peter couldn't wrap his head around. What do you mean you're going to die? You're not going to die. You're the Messiah. Right? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. He is the Lord of righteousness. He is completely righteous. He wasn't up there for his sin. He's up there for mine, for yours, for everybody else's. Thank you, Lord. But see, it was getting late in the day. And they couldn't leave him up there on the crosses. And, and, and um, cruel are the mercies of the wicked. So Roman crucifixion, which you know came out of impaling and then just... It was just this high art of, of um, terror theater and, and um, government control. And it was designed to make it exasperating, literally. You suffocated. That's what crucifixion was. Slow suffocation because your, your hands are distended. You can't draw a deep breath. Your, your feet are nailed. Your hands are nailed in a way that it's between the, the wrist bones. It cuts the medial nerve. So it's like banging your, your, your funny bone, but there's no turn off. It's just turned up. So those arms are singing the whole time. And then when you're, when you're either this way or this way, you know, to draw a breath, you've got to press against nails in your, in your ankles and get a breath. And you just get exhausted. And sooner or later, you wind up just exhausted and you can't breathe anymore and you suffocate. But they didn't have time for that. So they come by, and it's like, well, well, we'll help this out. We'll just come by with a big old club, and we'll break your kneecaps. So you can't hold yourself up. So, um, John 19. Now, I don't have time to run just, through all just, this. Just think our Lord did, did this for us. For us, amen. Um, I don't have time to walk through this, but, but basically... Jesus was the middle cross in a set of five. There were two on his left and two on his right. And so, um, verse 31, The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day. This is not the weekly Sabbath, by the way. This is a, um, a convocation Sabbath. But that Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first. Blam! The first guy they came to, they break his legs. And of the other, which was crucified with him. So when they let him out the first time, they led two others with him. And then they crucified two more on either side. You have two robbers and you have two thieves. And, and so they, they come up to the first cross. Blam! Break his legs. Come up to the next cross. Blam! Break his legs. They come to Jesus. And he was already dead. And they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers of the spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he saw it bear record, and this is the, that his record is true. He knoweth that he saith it's true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. Verse 36, a bone of him shall not be broken. A bone of him shall not be broken. Proof positive that he was the Messiah. If, if anybody here is is wondering about the 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 four crucified as a two, you know, everybody it shows two people being crucified. As the, as the soldiers came to the first and broke his broke his legs, and then they wouldn't go to the other. They wouldn't walk past Jesus and go to the other if there was only two there. They would have come to Jesus next. It just wouldn't have happened that sure. way. They don't do things that way. It, you, under, you understand yes. what I'm saying? Basically, when you put the testimony of, of all four Gospels together, you come up with five crosses. Mm -hmm. Anyhow. That makes sense. Yeah. Alright, so there's Joseph's bones. In faith, he gave direction for his burial so that they would carry him in the place of his inheritance because he had full expectation of getting out of that grave. Of bone coming to bone, 
of sinew coming upon it, of flesh covering it, of skin covering that, and the breath of God coming into him, that with his own eyes he would see his Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. I trust that was a blessing. It's just so awesome to me to think that our Lord and Savior would go through that for us and and take that kind of punishment and that kind of torture is so humbling and so you know we we should just turn if if anybody here hasn't any young person here hasn't really you know you're you're going to a christian church or that but if you haven't come to a point where you've sold out to the lord jesus and given him your life and say you are my lord i'm not i'm not my lord anymore you're my lord uh you know just stop and think about what he did for you Amen. so that so that you could not go to hell so that you could be with him in heaven. Amen. 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 Good word, Eddie.